On today's episode, we take a look back at the Mavs' regular season, and Law Murray of The Athletic joins to talk about the Mavericks Clippers playoff series. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. As always, Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. So we're finally in playoff season here as the NBA regular season has come to a completion as of earlier this week. Um, The Dallas Mavericks, like we talked about in an earlier podcast, avoided the play-in tournament, uh, which was the goal as we kind of saw this season unwind. Um, You know, we wanted uh, to get into a place where the Mavericks didn't have to be you know, any of those seven to 10 seeds, uh, you know, and have to play uh, just for the right to make the playoffs, even though that even though the play in tournament right now is looking like a huge success with that crazy Golden State and um, L.A. game the other night. But, you know, let's uh, what I want to do is I want to take a look back and, and kind of reevaluate um, the Dallas Mavericks from, you know, where they were a few months ago to where we finished the year. And, you know, looking ahead to this crazy postseason that awaits, um, you know, a, a match looming with the uh, L.A. Clippers again, um, a rematch from last year's uh, crazy six game series. You know, the Mavericks did what they had to do uh, to avoid the play in tournament. Uh, you know, down the stretch, we talked about uh, how their schedule really, really was in their favor, uh, even though the Mavericks lost to Sacramento three times, but still pulled out some really, really good wins, huge wins uh, over the Lakers, even though LeBron was was missing from those games. But anytime you can beat uh, a top five player in Anthony Davis and, a, and what still is the best defensive team in basketball, uh, you know, that that really lends lends credence to, um, you know, an improvement that your team has made. Um, you know, the schedule, again, fell in their favor. The Mavericks took advantage of it. Uh, they also needed help from Portland, from the Lakers to lose a couple key games down the stretch, which they did. And ultimately, the Mavericks um, clinched the Southwest Division um, and also clinched the five seed uh, after a crazy weekend in which the Clippers tanked two games uh, against the Rockets and the Thunder. Portland completely demolished Denver um, to uh, secure the six seed, and LA beat New Orleans. And so, by virtue of tiebreakers and division winners and whatever the calculation is for the NBA, uh, the Mavericks ended up with the five seed. But that tank job by the Clippers really put the Mavericks in uh, a weird position because not you know yes they avoided the play-in tournament. But I think the goal was eventually uh, to hopefully try to face Denver. Um, you know, I think the Mavericks match up a lot better against the Nuggets, especially with Jamal Murray missing. Uh, the supporting cast of Denver, uh, while still good, you know, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., very, very good players. But I think the Mavericks, just the way that the roster is set, really, really match up well against them and could take that to a seven-game series or even win in, I think, maybe six. Um, the Clippers pose a completely different uh, issue for the Mavericks and I, I think is is the worst possible outcome for this team. But we'll get into that uh, here a little bit later as uh, uh, Law Murray of The Athletic will join us to talk Mavs and Clippers a little bit later on. 
So looking back at the Mavs regular season, you know, we, we came into this season and, and obviously there were high expectations. And anytime you have a player of Luka Doncic's stature, of his ability on your team, you are going to have high expectations. That That's just the territory that comes with being a superstar in the NBA. Um, the Mavericks didn't live up to whatever certain people's expectations were, right? Let's be realistic, right? We're talking normal sports fans. We're not talking, you know, crazy Mavs fan on Twitter who says, oh, if the Mavericks don't win the championship, uh, you know, then they should trade Luka and they should trade everybody else. And, oh, this means Luka's leaving. Um, You know, he's not going to sign with the Mavericks again, blah, blah, blah. That's first off, that's not going to happen. Luka's in line for a Supermax extension next year. He's going to sign it. He's going to be here um, another four, five years. Um, in which I do believe that he will lead the Mavericks to a championship. But that being said, for the regular sports fan, uh, the the you know well-minded sports fan, if you will, um, you know the realistic expectations of this team was a playoff team. Were they a top four team? Potentially, right? Uh, if the cards fell the right way for the Mavericks, there was room there for them to be a top four team. Um, I don't think. Anybody thought they were better than the Lakers, better than the Clippers, uh, or at full strength, better than the Nuggets. Now, are the Mavericks better than Utah? Obviously, standings-wise, no. But if you put take a fully healthy Utah Jazz team against a fully healthy Dallas Mavericks team, you know, keep in mind the Mavericks did beat the Jazz uh, this year pretty handedly. Um, you know, I think Phoenix is a much better comparison to the Mavs in terms of roster um construction and the way that you know those two teams kind of align with each other uh, but again you know the Mavericks finish at the five seed which is better than last year um, and this despite the crazy early season struggles that this team had uh, coming into the season you know the the original NBA season was supposed to start sometime in January I believe um, you know the NBA decided to move the schedule um, and move the start date of the season up to December. Now, what that did for a lot of players, not just players on the Mavericks, but um, for a lot of players coming out of the bubble last year, you know, you people are in a, uh, a routine, an off-season routine, right? They've got to get surgery to clean up some stuff. They to train. They need some R and R. Foreign players normally go back to their um, to their hometowns, uh, you know, overseas, and all of that happened with the Mavericks, right? Kristaps Porzingis after the meniscus tear that he had. In the postseason last year, got surgery done, but got it a little bit later after uh, he left the bubble. Luka Doncic went back to Slovenia. Um, you know, Dwight Powell was still recovering from his Achilles injury. Um, you know, and and so when when the season was then moved up to December, Porzingis was already going to be out. We knew Porzingis was going to be out for an extended period of time beginning the year, but I think had the season started January. It may the, the the perception of it wouldn't have been as bad because it maybe would have been a week or two, right? Versus starting in December and you've got Porzingis out for three weeks to a month. Luca came into the league or came into the season, excuse me, out of shape, under conditioned. Um, you know, fine for a twenty one year old kid who who went back to Slovenia after a hard fought playoff series, right? He'll learn. That's part of the learning process as you grow, um, you know, in this league. And he admittedly so, Luca said, look, I wasn't in the best shape of my life coming into the year. So you take all that into account. 
Um, you know, the Mavericks started off the season as one of, if not the worst defensive team in basketball the first month of the season. Um, and by end of January, early February, they're sitting there at the 14th spot in the Western Conference at 9 and 15. All of a sudden, everything changed. And whether it was the ice storm in Dallas, was whether it was the fact that the Mavericks finally got some time to practice and to get acclimated. Keep in mind, Josh Richardson, also a new, you know, asset to the team, um, you know, still was trying to find his footing, right, and kind of figure out what his role is, um, you know, after the trade uh, with Philadelphia um, that sent Seth Curry to the Sixers and Josh Richardson here. So, you know, whatever that week-long break that the Mavericks had, um, you know, kind of flipped the switch. Uh, you know, Rick Carlisle worked his magic, uh, and the Mavericks finished 33-15, and 15 to end the season, which is phenomenal by any stretch of the imagination, right? I think it's a phenomenal finish for a team that really, really struggled, um, you know, at the beginning uh, part of the year. You know, those 15 losses uh, to end the year, of course, three to Sacramento, uh, you know, and and that's that's the frustrating thing about this team. When you watch them throughout the year, the Mavericks will always play to the level of their competition, it seems, right? So you'll have games like against Sacramento where, the Mavericks should be blowing them out, right? It's, they're the worst defensive team in basketball. And the Mavericks are down eight, down 10. They're letting Rashawn Holmes run the paint um, against them. Harrison Barnes, former Maverick, is launching threes and, and hitting him. Uh, you know, there were games where De'Aaron Fox was out and the Mavericks still lost, right? And then you've got games against the Clippers where the Mavericks win. Um, you've got the two games against the Lakers, games against the Nets, against the Blazers. So, um, you know, one of the, you know, very, very troubling things about the season was the inconsistency that we saw uh, throughout the year. Now, me personally, I think it's attributed to injuries. I think it's attributed to just lack of, you know, lack of time to, to really focus and, and really practice. I mean, you know, you talk about a 72 game schedule, very, very condensed, right? I mean, you're packing a lot of action into a short period of time. A lot of back-to-backs. And when you've got a player like Porzingis coming off a a meniscus injury, you've got players like Dorian Finney-Smith, like Josh Richardson, like Jalen Brunson, key guys to your rotation um, who who had to go through COVID protocols and had to sit out part of the year. You know, it really messes with with kind of the 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 relationship that you're building with your teammates and, and really, you know, learning how to play together. Um, you know, and making sure that, that everything is kind of running smoothly, right? Um, you know, I think it, I think that had a very, very big part to play in the consistency issues we saw with the Mavericks. And if you look down the stretch, I think you can really tell uh, that this team started meshing together well once all the pieces started coming together. Did Porzingis miss time? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. had, a, had some off games, uh, and we'll get to, to Tim Hardaway Jr.'s impact uh, here in a little bit. But, you know, even with Chris Epps pouring us out, I think you saw the rest of the Mavericks role players really start to to kind of feel comfortable with what their role is and, and figure out where they fit into the offense. Uh, you know, one of the guys that I was most impressed with, well, let's, let's, let's say this. The two guys I was most impressed with this year for the Mavericks were Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson, right? Dorian Finney-Smith, a guy undrafted out of Florida uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but, I mean, this guy, I, I don't know, you know, I well, 
I do know, but I, I wish he would be in the running for most improved player because the guy was has just been phenomenal. Yes, he only averaged about 10 points a game, but the shooting, the clutch shooting numbers uh, for Dorian Finney-Smith and, and just the, the that it factor that he's got when he's sitting on the, you know, in the corner and Luca drives and kicks it out to him. And, and you know, as a Mavs fan, you know, you know that shot's going in. Um, you know, I think there's a level of trust that Luca has with Dorian Finney-Smith now where, um, you know, he knows he's a knockdown three-point shooter. He knows that uh, he can, you know, he knows that uh, he's a reliable guy, especially when the game is on the line, uh, that he can hit that shot. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith nearly shot 40% from three this year. He was at 39.4%, which is amazing. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic percentage. Um, higher than Tim Hardaway Jr., higher than Josh Richardson, obviously. Um, higher than Chris Epsporzing is the only two people on the team that shot better from three uh, than Dorian Finney-Smith, but who also took less than Dorian Finney-Smith were Maxi Kleba and Jalen Brunson. So Dorian Finney-Smith, I think, was one of the, the most um, improved players on this Mavericks team. The other one was Jalen Brunson. And Jalen Brunson is a guy who, in my mind, should be starting, I think, um, I think he could start next to Luca. I think it would pose a lot of issues uh, for a lot of different teams, but I can understand why Carlisle has him coming off the bench because he does provide that spark and he is the leader of that second unit. And he, he in some odd way, reminds me a lot of J.J. Barea. Just the intensity that Barea bought, excuse me, brought um, to, to, the, to the game every time he would come in it felt like a momentum shift every time Barreo was in uh, the way he just drives at guys bigger than, you know, bigger than him in the paint. Um, you know, his handles uh, on the perimeter, the way he can, you know, doesn't look like he's a fast guy, but he can blow right by you. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're kind of being lazy, uh, Brunson's a huge part of this team. Uh, I think he, you know, he really, really improved um, this season. We're averaging 12 and a half, actually 12.6 points off the bench. Uh, this year and again shot over 40 percent from three and 52 percent from the field overall so a great year for Jalen Brunson um, and for Dorian Finney-Smith you know and and we've talked about you know coming down the stretch we you know we said Tim Hardaway Jr. we saw the the improvement he made in his three-point shot we saw the the crazy games that that he had and so you could really tell down you know as the season was coming to an end um, that the Mavericks were were kind of putting it all together and so what does it mean, right? Was this a successful season for the Mavericks? Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think in line with what I expected at the beginning of the year, I mean, it's pretty much what I expected. Um, you know, I didn't think this was a team that would contend for a championship this year. I still don't think that they'll contend for a championship this year. Um, you know, what I, what I did think was we'd see improvement from Luka, which we did. You know, he started the season extremely cold. Uh, couldn't hit a three to save his life, um, you know, but down the stretch, I mean, the guy really put it together and that new mid-range jumper and, and Dirk fadeaway that he's been featuring has been crazy. Um, you know, the more he learns, the more he grows and the more he kind of figures out how people can't stop him, you know, is going to make him all the more unstoppable and all the more fun to watch, quite frankly. Um, you know, we saw improvement, like I said, from a couple other folks. Obviously, the biggest concern for Mavs fans is Porzingis, right? It's it's a guy that, you know, we've had questions about ever since the day that we got him. And, and the way that I see it is, look, before Chris Porzingis' injury, 
I think any team in the NBA would have traded for him and anybody would have wanted him on their team uh, based on talent level alone and, and the way he was playing in New York. You know, the, the, the injury that really derailed his career, uh, you know, and led him to his exit uh, with New York. And, you know, the Mavericks took a calculated risk, right? Uh, the Mavericks didn't trade, you know, an, an all-pro or an all-star, uh, you know, to get Porzingis. You know, they traded away a lottery pick in Dennis Smith, who has since moved on to another team and has not played meaningful minutes since being with the Mavericks. Uh, you know, Wesley Matthews was a part of that deal, who has been a great role player for the Lakers. No disrespect to Wes Matthews. Uh, Mavs fans still love you. Uh, and of course, DeAndre Jordan, who joined the Mavericks, you know, two years too late uh, and is now, you know, in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, the, the key piece of it, I think, were the two first round picks. But if you're making the playoffs every year, you know, late round picks, like that's fine. I'm willing to give that up for, you know, for hope that Chris Epps Porzingis can at least put it together in, in a seven game series in the postseason. That's, that's really what I want to see. And, and so I, you know, I, I get the frustration uh, from Mavs fans. I mean, I'm frustrated too, because I, I want the guy to stay healthy. I want to see the success. I want to see the, the New York Porzingis, you know, there's a lot of positivity um, based on the way Porzingis played down the stretch. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of positivity in terms of the Doncic KP relationship, which is, which has really been talked about a lot the fact that those two aren't the quote-unquote best of friends um, and went from hanging out after games and after practice on the beach um, or at the swimming pool in the bubble last year to now you know only talking when they're on the court or in the locker room I I, I don't buy into that right I, I don't think that NBA players care if they're friends with their with their teammates I mean these guys are professionals and they're here to do a job and, and I think Luca is a good enough and, and, and a fierce enough competitor where he can, if there is any animosity and if there is any whatever weirdness between them, Luca's the kind of guy that can kind of push that to the side, even though he's a young kid. And I think Carlisle is not the type of coach that would stand for something like that anyway. That being said, people really don't know this, but when Jason Terry first joined the Mavericks, uh, you know, him and Dirk Nowitzki were not friends. Dirk Nowitzki actually did not like Jason Terry and did not want him on the team. And it's like Mark Cuban has come out and said that winning cures everything, right? The Dirk Nowitzki and Jason Terry relationship worked out pretty fine, if you ask me. So, uh, you know, it, it, the the pairing and, and this whole friendship ideal uh, behind Luca and, and Porzingis, I don't really buy that much into it. I mean, you, you kind of take a look at... The way that they played this year, and there's a very interesting stat that I found going back and, and kind of looking at the way they play off each other. I mean, a lot of pick and roll between the two. You know, the Mavericks averaged 1.8 uh, points per direct pick when Doncic is the primary ball handler and Porzingis is a screener. That made them the most effective pick and roll pair in the NBA. So, you know, there's clearly chemistry there. And I think you saw that as the season kind of came to an end. You saw a lot more chemistry between Luca and Porzingis. I, to me, I think a lot of the fighting and, and the, you know, the issues stem from the competitive nature of both of them and also wanting the ball. I think sometimes Porzingis gets overlooked when he's out on the wing, um, you know, looking for to jack up one of those threes. And to be fair, to his credit, He's done a much better job. If you watch, if you if you're a Mavs fan and you've watched the games, I want you to really remember this. There was a game, a couple, I think it was a month or so ago, Valentine's Day, I believe, around Valentine's Day, where we played Denver. Uh, no, excuse me, we played New Orleans. 
Mavericks played New Orleans, and Chris Haps Porzingis took 10 threes in the first half. And I sat there with my brother-in-law, and I, I was just, I was furious because I was like, this is a guy that should not be taking this many threes in the first half, much less a game. So, you know, we, you kind of look at the way that Porzingis has progressed down the stretch, and as the season kind of, the season was coming to an end, you started to see a guy that when he would catch the ball at the top, you know, at the wing or at the top of the key behind the three-point line, he wasn't just hoisting up, you know, three-point shots right away. Uh, he he was really mindful of the situation. He was mindful of, does he have an advantage? Can he blow by a guy? Can he post up a guy? Can he do maybe a little give and go and a roll to the basket? And and I think you started to see that a little bit more, and, and Porzingis is getting a little bit more comfortable in in the flow of the offense and the way that things are kind of going. So the whole, I don't, again, I don't buy into this whole, you know, Luca and, and KP can't work together. Luca and KP don't, don't like each other, blah, blah, you know, whatever nonsense that is. I think you go into the playoffs. If you can win a few games, um, you know, hell, if you can win the series, that'd be better, but uh, you know, really show the chemistry, show what you've worked on, show kind of the, ability going forward and, and give us something to look forward to as Mavs fans, because that's what we want to see. We want to see, you know, the unicorn and, and, and Luca together for the foreseeable foreseeable future, because I think that's a pairing that when healthy, those two guys could be, you know, the elite new duo uh, of the NBA. But what does it mean for, for this series against the Clippers, right? Is it, is this something we're going to see come to fruition this year? Um, do we have to wait? Another year to see this, uh, another two years is pausing is the answer. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in, in maybe an off season podcast, but you know, the Mavericks, the Mavericks drew kind of the short end of the stick here, getting the Clippers, um, in the first round. Uh, you know, I think defensively the Clippers just match up way too well against Dallas. Uh, you know, especially the, the fact that Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George can really trap Luca and, and, this is a game that's going to come down to, I think, Dallas's secondary players, right? We know what Kawhi's going to bring. We know, well, we think we know what Paul George is going to bring. Uh, we know what Luka Doncic will bring. The question's going to, uh, you know, the, the, excuse me, the Mavericks, whether they can win this series or not is going to come down to secondary role players. Kristaps Porzingis, it, if he can stay healthy, I think can have a dominant series. But it's going to be it, the Mavericks are going to need epic games from Tim Hardaway Jr. They're going to need um, consistency from Jalen Brunson, Maxi Kleba, who is the Mavericks' best defender against Kawhi Leonard, has to get healthy. Um, he's been suffering uh, with an Achilles issue, um, you know, just a, a little bit of a strain, and, and the Mavericks have held him out over the past couple of weeks, but. You know, the Mavericks will desperately need Kleba because he's the one guy who I think they've put on uh, Kawhi Leonard quite a bit and, and have, has had relative success uh, defending him. Uh, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, I, I don't have a doubt, is is going to hit some clutch shots. And, and of course, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see a Luka game, <clears throat> I think, pretty early on. You know, there's a revenge factor, of course, for the Mavericks after everything that happened last year. Um, you know, the Clippers are the worst team in defending the paint. So, you know, if the Mavericks can can get Dwight Powell on a roll, no pun intended, um, just like they did against the Lakers when Andre Drummond was trying to guard him, you know, that could bode well. But at the end of the day, I, I just I, I can't 
and I love the Mavericks, but I can't see them beating a Clippers team that just has too too much. Or excuse me, that has. A, I can't see them beating a Clippers team that arguably has the perfect defense against them. I can't see them beating a Clippers team that probably has the has the best defensive strategy against them. The Clippers do a great job of trapping Luka, um, you know, and and you know trying to you know force the secondary role players to to really uh, carry the game. So I've got the Mavericks losing in six. Um, you know, I think again it's a six game series. Would I be shocked if the Mavericks pull this out? No, not at all. Uh, would I be surprised? Mildly, yes. Um, but I just I think again. Uh, the the Clippers three point shooting um, best shooting team in the league, and I just think their defensive game plan against Luca uh, is going to uh, is going to lead them to victory. But you know what? Um, excited for basketball. Uh, playoff basketball is always fun. Uh, it's good to see the stars come out and play, and I can't wait to see uh, what Luca uh, and Kawhi bring to the table. He's a former NBA editor at ESPN and researcher at NFL Media, and he currently covers the LA Clippers on The Athletic. Joining the show today is Law Murray. Law, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So, Law, I want to kind of jump right into this. Uh, you know, obviously the Mavericks Clippers series coming up this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Um, you know, uh, the biggest story, I guess, right now surrounding the Clippers has been this whole tank job uh, you know, that happened at the end of the season, losing to the Rockets, losing to Oklahoma City. Uh, was this, you know, and I know it's been talked about a lot. I just, I kind of want to get your take on it. Was it really a calculated move by the coaching staff, by the front office to avoid the Lakers and not see them till the Western Conference Finals? Or was this more about, hey, let's rest our guys in preparation for, uh, you know, for what should be a grueling series? I mean, at this point, man, it's whatever people want it to be. You know, it's both of those things. It's all of those things. Uh, what the what the misnomer is, I think people are misjudging this whole road to a championship. You know, the fact is, I think everyone can acknowledge that the Lakers are not your average number seven seed. You know, the Lakers underachieved this season, uh, partly because of personnel, partly because. Uh, unlike some teams like the Clippers, like the Lakers didn't play their best with their best players out. So when it comes to the Lakers, it's like this, the Clippers, they earned either the three or the four seed. They earned home court advantage. Any way you look at it, the why would the Clippers, if they have a choice, choose the path of most resistance, basically, you know, this isn't a test your might here that you don't get extra points for taking what the 1990, five Rockets had to do when they were a six seed and they had to go through the top three seeds in the West that year that featured Carl Malone's Utah Jazz, Charles Barkley's Phoenix Suns, David Robinson's San Antonio Spurs, and then sweep a magic team that won 12 more games than that team during the regular season. Like no one talks about that as a, as a hero's climb. That's the hardest championship ever won as far as strength of schedule of opponents, you know, the Lakers, they won a championship last year. They didn't have to face a single team that was seeded number two or number one in their conference. And no one's going to take that championship away from the Lakers. They earn that title. 
but the you earn a title by win by ending four team season, no matter who the four opponents are. And people are looking at the Clippers as they let's just be real. People were just upset that they didn't get a Clippers Lakers first round like they wanted. You know, the Clippers would basically have signed up to not have home court advantage in any round, despite earning home court advantage with the season that they did have before they played the Rockets, before they played the Thunder. And so you're not ducking the Lakers. If the Lakers are the team that they're supposed to be and the Clippers are the team that they are expected to be, they're going to meet at some point and the Clippers are going to have to play them and they're going to have to beat them. And then even when that happens, they still won't win a championship. You still have to go to the NBA finals and beat the team from the other conference. So that's the, that's the worst part about this narrative that uh, you know, I've had to address multiple times this week and, uh, and it's certainly going to be brought up either when the Clippers see the Lakers or when uh, one of the two teams gets eliminated prematurely. But people just need to realize, like, the Clippers won a home court advantage in one of these series uh, because you don't get that against the Lakers. Hell, the Lakers won't get against the Clippers. It's going to be a neutral court series. At least in the first round, the, the Clippers opted for a normal home court advantage so that they can get themselves ready for the their rest of the playoffs from there. So I want to talk about the regular season matchup between these teams. The Mavericks won two out of three, uh, but I don't put too much stock into that 51-point blowout. Um, you know, I think that was actually an anomaly. Your genders are taking that out. <laughs> well, I mean, I just I think the Clippers are a much better team than that, and I think they prove that, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the year uh, that they are, you know, a better team. But, um, you know, the, the other two games in March, you know, split between both teams. Um, I found it interesting that in the game that the Mavericks lost, um, they allowed the Clippers, seven Clippers scored in double figures, and the Clippers shot 44% from three. Uh, but the game that the Mavericks won, they had five players in double figures, and the Mavericks shot 44% from three. To me, it seems like the secondary role players are going to play a huge part in this series. Are they kind of the key uh, for both of these teams going forward? I think that could be a factor. I mean, but in... in and also overall, like it's the playoffs. So it's going to come down to lineups. It's going to come down to matchups. And uh, the guy who was consistent um, in both of those games for the Mavericks, I felt was Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, I thought Tim Hardaway Jr. was fantastic in the game that the Mavericks lost to the Clippers, you know, and then he got to start in the game two days later, two nights later, and he continued to play well. I think what he does from a spacing standpoint is important. And it's just interesting that the Mavericks, they took all season to take Josh Richardson out the starting lineup. I mean, Josh, when he played well against the Clippers, that was a factor in wins. And when he didn't play well in the loss, uh, that was a that was a big factor. And in, in, uh, I think Josh was one of the worst players on the floor. Uh, when the Clippers won in Dallas. So in in terms of who's going to play well, who's going to step up, I mean, yeah, Dallas doesn't have the margin of error um, in terms of the available players to them in this series. Like, those dudes have to play well. I just believe that they will play well. The Clippers are much deeper. They have much many more options. But I'm also not sure how many of those options are going to be as effective uh, where I feel like they're going to really need to be, and that's going to be, uh, I think, Kawhi and PG, they're going to need some scoring outlets. Last year's Clippers team, they had 
I felt like a more they, they had more of a scoring presence off of their bench. That's not really that doesn't really define this year's bench. This year's bench has more supporting players. I think they are really good in their roles, but can they be really good as far as scoring the basketball, picking things up if Kawhi or PG uh, falter for stretches at a time? I think that's a that's an open question for me right now going into the series. Yeah, and and you make a good point. Um, you know, especially the team last year with Montrezl Harrell and, and Lou Williams. You know, I I I thought the Clippers would miss Montrezl Harrell more than they did this year. Is that do you think an emergence of Zubak and, and getting Ibaka uh, on the team, you know, when he's been healthy? No, I honestly, it's two completely different situations in terms of Trez and how they opted to replace him. And Zoo is more or less in the same situation than he uh, compared to last year. And Zoo is better. Uh, Zoo is not only better because as a younger player, he's progressed into the player that he is now. But he's playing for a coach that gives Zoo a little bit more of a leash, which is interesting because Ty Lue wasn't planning on starting Zubats until Serge, the seriousness of his back issue uh, really started to take form. But uh, when it comes to Montrez Harrell, first of all, Trez was terrible in the in the bubble last year um, on the floor. And we all know he was dealing with a lot. And, and um, you can be empathetic to uh, what Harrell was struggling with while acknowledging objectively that he was a minus for the Clippers on the floor. Uh, And even in the Dallas series, I think people mostly remember his struggles in the Denver series and how long of a leash Trez had as the sixth man of the year and how that negatively impacted the Clippers on the floor. But even in the Dallas series, Boban Marjanovic was relevant because, I mean, he really had, what, an eight-inch height advantage and used it effectively um, in that series. That flipped at least game two, in my my estimation, against the Clippers. Um, That's the most decisive game that Dallas had in the playoffs last year. So this year is different. Like, Zoo starts, he plays, and he has a pivotal role as far as the offensive diversity of the team. Zoo is the only consistent offensive rebounder on the floor, save for – I mean, Serge might get in there every now and again uh, coming off the bench. We did see that uh, in his comeback games against the Thunder and Rockets um, at the end of the season. And DeMarcus Cousins, he destroyed the Dallas Mavericks as a Rocket. He obviously didn't see the Mavericks as a Clipper, but there may be an opportunity to to slide him in. If Boban could be relevant last year, that might be Boogie this year. Uh, but the one thing that they the, the Clippers miss – when it comes to Trez is that interior presence that consistently draws fouls, gets to the free throw line. They don't have that this year. And I'm not saying that's going to be a big factor in terms of the series. Obviously, again, Trez didn't play well last year. So it's not like they had that last year. But uh, getting to the free throw line has been a struggle for the Clippers all season. It's been Dallas's worst part of their defense. And I'm not sure if the Clippers are going to take advantage of that. So the Mavericks roster, uh, in terms of the way that it matches up with the Clippers from last year's series, is, is pretty much the same up and down other than, uh, you know, the trade uh, of Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. But, as uh, you know, are the Clippers, are they concerned about anybody on the Mavericks? Is there anybody other than Luka that really scares them? Tim Hardaway Jr. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, the, the Clippers have acknowledged that. You can look at the games and you could say you better acknowledge that. Oh, I even think the Mavericks, they realize what they have in THJ. 
Like, that's why he's starting, or that's why he started and kept his role in the starting lineup at the end of the season, whereas Josh, uh, Josh Richardson, they started bringing him off the bench. Tim Hardaway Jr. has to be good. There's there's no way around it. Dude is, I mean, he's the son of a gun, for one. Uh, he He's a phenomenal shooter, and he's not a one-dimensional player. Like, he has a, an ability to finish on the break. He has an ability to attack a closeout. And he's not a small guy. So even though he's not known as a strong defensive presence, he's still a, a guy who's been in this league. Uh, he's been through some playoff runs, um, both in Dallas out now and, and outside of Dallas. He knows what he's got to do to be competitive on that end of the floor. I mean, again, if Tim is bad, <laughs> then forget what I say about Dallas having a, a, a chance to, to, to steal this series. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. is 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 absolutely pivotal uh, for what Dallas is going to be trying to do uh, in this series. With the Clippers being the best three-point shooting team in the league and, and going up against a Mavericks team that, quite frankly, you know, doesn't do a great job of defending the three. I mean, when they play up to their competition, you know, they're, they're a competent defense. But, um, you know, the Clippers don't have a very good interior game. Uh, is their strategy just to keep taking a bunch of mid-range and, and three-point shots and is are we going to see you know other than Kawhi Leonard and and Paul George are we going to be seeing like Luke Kennard knock down some threes in this series? I mean Luke's Luke Luke Kennard's probably uh, he's he's probably your twelfth man. So uh, like Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, um, really, if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard aren't in foul trouble, aren't dealing with something physical, then uh, Mann and Kennard are bit players in this particular series starting the, out in the playoffs. When it comes to the Clippers' approach, yeah, they're the most accurate three-point shooting team. Uh, their volume is is not at the highest level. Uh, they, I mean, it's still very good. I'm just saying, like, um, it's just the the Clippers are going to find those mid-range shots. Uh, they do a good job touching the paint and kicking out and spreading the floor. Uh, when it's when it's when it works, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, this was a top five offense last year. It was a it was a, it was a top five offense. The concern with the Clippers is actually um, Dallas has done a good job defending them in two of the three games that they played this season. And yeah, that first game, um, it, as ridiculous as it was, the highlight of it was the worst case scenario when it comes to the Clippers shooting the basketball. Like they missed eighteen out of nineteen threes. Uh, and then they had turnovers on top of that. So that's why that's if you want to know how you get the 50 point lead at halftime, like the Clippers offense was some of the worst that we saw from any team all season. You're hoping that that never shows its head again. But at the same time, they didn't they didn't break 90 uh, when they lost in Dallas on March 17th. And a big part of that was the poorest three point shooting playing at a slow pace and not being able to hit those shots and not being able to get to the line, you're, you're, you're missing shots somewhere. You're, you're missing volume. And so Dallas to me looked like a team that could defend the three pointer uh, for this particular team. They could set their half court defense up and they could, and with that locked in approach of you can't let this team shoot, they did a good job. I thought they were effective and I, I looked at that part of it and it's like, well, Dallas isn't a good defensive team overall in the league, but against some of 
and the teams that they needed to play well against offensively. I thought Dallas executed. And so that's going to be very intriguing to see how good the Clippers three-point shooting is against a team that may be equipped to defend it effectively. One thing I want to ask you, and I like asking people that are that are not from the Dallas area about this because I think Dallas fans have a completely different viewpoint on this. But from an outsider looking in at this roster, do you see the Luca Porzingis pairing in this playoff series, given, let's say, you know, Porzingis has, has gotten his rest, right? He missed 10 games down the stretch. The last three games, he was, you know, fantastic. Uh, you know, I mean, 19 points from the field, 60% from uh, from three, you know, on five threes a game. But do you see that pairing working, you know, the pick and roll tandem of them working against the Clippers in this series if they can play every game together? I mean, look, Luca and KP were not impressive together for the most part this season. And uh, I mean, those who scored pretty effectively in the game that the Mavericks lost. So for me, Porzingis has to do the, the other things. Uh, he, he does have to do a good job setting screens, but it's about saving possessions, making the extra pass, not being a, uh, a net minus on both ends of the floor. Uh, the game that KP played in that Dallas won he was a factor on the boards. He was a factor as far as rim protection. And so I'm looking at the defense. I'm look, When I look at Doncic and Przingis, I look at what those dudes do defensively. Uh, if, if they can be competitive, stay on the floor, stay out of foul trouble, uh, that's going to be that, – that's going to go a long way. Uh, I'm not sure how much they want to involve Przingis and Doncic in the pick and roll. Maybe you want to involve – whoever uh, Zubas is on, because uh, if you, let's say you have those two bigs, um, Porzingis and, and for whatever reason, Rick Carlisle tried to put Dwight Powell out there. Uh, I think you got to involve Dwight Powell a little bit more and make sure Porzingis is spacing the floor. Uh, but I'm not sure this is a Dwight Powell series either. Like I, I was saying, hopefully for them, Maxi Klebe is healthy and they can play Willie Cauley sign and they can limit Dwight Powell's minutes. So uh, when it, when it comes to Dallas's offense, when it comes to Luca, when it comes to KP uh, they're just going to have to protect the basketball and hope they can get as many extra possessions as they can. And um, the offensive output, it's, it's about raising the floor instead of uh, being a bust as far as the ceiling is concerned. So somebody who covers the Clippers law, from your perspective, what do the Mavericks have to do to win this series? Is this a series that the Mavericks can come in and legitimately feel confident about winning? Or does everything have to go wrong for the Clippers, for the Mavericks to advance? I mean, a lot of it is, yeah, like the door opens for Dallas if if they can basically prevent the Clippers from going off from three. I mean, if, if the Clippers are going to shoot the way that they're capable of shooting, then, yeah, I don't think Dallas is going to win the series. My belief that Dallas could win the series is heavily reliant on one Luca doing a lot of work uh, to get to get the the offense going for that team, both as a scorer and as a passer, and limiting his turnovers, limiting his mistakes. But then on the other end, slowing the game down forcing the Clippers to go on extended droughts. If they can do that, and again, like just based off of how those teams matched up this past season, I think that that's a real possibility. Then, yeah, I think 
this could be a, a, a series that Dallas winds up winning. Um, and when it comes to the late game stuff, we saw Dallas can Dallas improved there. Uh, Dallas was not a good late game team last year, and they actually won a late game. Uh, they, they had a comeback. Everyone remembers Luka making the game four game winners. Dallas, I think, got better in late game situations. That involves some Luka game winners. It involves some games where they just, you know, outlasted their opponents. So, uh, yeah, it's going to – the main thing is if the Clippers shoot the way that they're capable of, then, yeah, Dallas is in, in trouble. But I do think Dallas has the, the ability to play at the Clippers' pace, which is very slow, and really just shrink the opportunities that the Clippers have to get those shots off and uh, make make it make this closer than it should be. Yeah, and I think Maxi Kleba being um, on the injured list, if he's out, I think it's a huge blow for the Mavs considering he's kind of the guy that's been guarding Kawhi uh, the last few games that, that they've played and, um, you know, relatively speaking, I guess, has done a, has done a decent job. But um, So, you know, I look at the series law and, and my heart as a diehard Mavs fan tells me Mavs in seven. My head, knowing that the Clippers are – better defensive team, um, you know, better offensive team than the Mavericks says Clippers in six. What are your thoughts on, on how this series plays out? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll leave my heart out of this shit like this. Uh, I, I told, I told Tim Cato and Mike Pellucci the same thing uh, on a pod earlier this week for the athletic. And I mean, I, I, I even kind of set out, I said, I, I feel like Dallas winds up winning game one. I feel like the early start time benefits Dallas. That's the same not the same exact start time, but that's the same window that was the Sunday matinee game uh, where the Mavericks were last in LA to face the Clippers in December. Uh, the Clippers have had some weird games in that, in that window. Uh, so um, I just feel like, yeah, I would, I'm not going to be surprised if Dallas swipes home court right away. Um, I do think the Clippers wind up taking a two, one lead game four. I think Dallas winds up winning that to tie it just like they did last year. And um, I, I see the Clippers taking game five, bringing the series back to Dallas, and then the Mavericks holding on in the game that they're desperate to win in game six uh, to extend the series to a game seven. And in a winner take all, uh, just have the Mavericks finding a way to steal that game. Uh, so that's kind of where I've been at as far as how I think the series might go. And that's, yeah, that's kind of where I've been at. I'm not exactly saying it with my chest, uh, you know, because a lot of people, here's the thing, a lot of people are, are sensitive to uh, this postseason for the Clippers. You know, I've, I've covered the team all year. I've covered the team before. Uh, and a lot of people are, you know, they were upset about their expectations and what happened last year and having that color, how they see the team. And that's not me. That's, that's not me at all. Like I for one, my expectations for the Clippers weren't that high last year to begin with, so my feelings weren't hurt when things went the way they did. You know, I mean, it, you hated to see it, but at the same time, I wasn't – I was just like, well, you, you can kind of see things weren't right for that team uh, over the course of the season last year. I do think the team is in a better place. I think they, they have a better team. It, this is just about the matchup. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that this matchup is – ideal and in the playoff series anything can happen and that's what i'm feeling might happen so that's where i'm at wow great stuff man 
Once again, uh, he's Law Murray of The Athletic Law. Thank you so much again for hopping on the show today. All right. Thanks for having me. Like Law said, it's a playoff series. Anything can happen, right? Um, look, as a Mavs fan, I, I'm I'm excited to see the growth of Luka Doncic. I want to see what a healthy Chris Apps Porzingis can do. Um, you know, I want to see what Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, can he stay hot? Uh, you know, the way that he's been playing. Uh, can Jalen Brunson continue his efficient scoring in the postseason against a veteran championship contending Clippers team? Uh, you know, and, and how much does the revenge factor play into this, right? How angry are the Mavericks after uh, what went down last year in a series that I think they feel, and I know a lot of Mavericks feel, that they should have and could have won uh, had certain things not transpired the way they did. But, hey, uh, we're here in the postseason. I'm excited. I hope all of you are. Thanks again for listening to Metroplex Mania. Uh, once again, please subscribe uh, via Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And as always, I'm your host, Shana Makani.